The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome, everyone, to this special Money 2020 edition of Functional Banking Magic. I am Liz Lumley from The Banker, and we have a wonderful Money 2020 panel for you today. Um, But I want to talk about a little bit first what we are going to be discussing. And the theme of this episode is the glittering halls of cutting edge. So many of us are always attracted to the glittering halls of cutting edge technology. We hear a lot about quantum computing, Web3, the metaverse, um, and, uh, the, and uh, you know, bankers are no, no exception to this, being lured into the siren calls of all this fun and glittering technology. And shows like Money 2020 show off this technology to, you know, this is the future of payments, this is the world we're going into. But I always question, what does this really mean? What does this mean about banking today and how we deal with financial services? And what, how is this technology impacting people on the street, corporations, and, you know, basically making, making banking a better place? So we have um, a wonderful, diverse, uh, unique viewed panel here for us today. So I'm going to have them all introduce themselves first. So I'll start with the gentleman right in front of me from, from City. Please, uh, please introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you so much, Liz, for inviting me. Uh, my name is Kunal Bist, uh, and I work for City in what we call Treasury and Trade Solutions, which many businesses, many other banks call the payments business, but essentially it's payments, receivables, liquidity management, and trade business. And I look after strategic partnerships globally for that business, most of which entails a lot of fintech partners, many of which are around here uh, in the halls. That that uh, that uh, bank fintech partnership topic is it's one of the things that's been of my existence. But um, my, my, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Of course. Yeah. Nice to meet you all. Uh, my name is Emer Craven, and I'm the division president for Western Europe with Mastercard. So my accent is Irish, uh, but in fact, I looked after the markets of the Western continent. So here, the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, and Italy. So I look after all of our relationships in those markets, whether they span financial institutions, fintech, government, retailers, and the new players in the digital economy. So it's, um, it's a great role, fascinating. And like Kunal, many of my partners here, and it's great to be here. It's great to be here in person. It's great to see people. No, I hate the pen. I'd never want to hear the word COVID ever again. I am life. with you. <laughs> so last but not least, Nectarius, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Nectarius Leolius. Uh, I didn't know we did accents. My accent's somewhat between British and German because I grew up in Germany. And my Greek name is a bit confusing to people, but I live in London. Um, I'm here in my capacity... I think I'm here because of my past more than my future. <laughs> um, I'm a fintech founder now, but I spent uh, the last 13 years of my life in corporate innovation. First with Swift InnoTribe, uh, doing the first global fintech competition, then first global fintech accelerator. We started a bootcamp and a corporate innovation business called Rainmaking. So I've been on the other side trying to work with organizations like City and Mastercard and experience firsthand their um, disconnect between their reality and their desire to innovate and, and Money 2020 and the likes play play a role in this. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Excellent. Thank you. I do apologize to my panel if I don't look you in the eye 
because I have to stay very close to the microphone. <laughs> I've been told, so I'm going to be I'm going to be a good girl. Um, whenever we talk about uh, cutting edge technology or new technology. What I, you tend to hear, especially from, from this side of the table, the sort of maybe the more traditional side of financial services, is, oh, that's really interesting, but we won't see its impact for 10 years. Um, so I always like to look at timelines. And my question I, I always ask those people is, when did that 10 years start? Did it start 10 years ago? Um, but so I wanted to talk about what excites you. So what, what technology are we dealing with right now that excites you? So you're nodding at me. Come here. What are you telling me? No, I love how you framed it because when we talk about, you know, the impact of the pandemic, we at MasterCard, we talk about technologies that were, that were, you know, born 10 years ago, contactless, um, Apple Pay, you know, those, those are not today's technologies, they're technologies of the past. I think the technologies of the future are really, it's really exciting when you think about where we're going with open banking. It's really exciting when you think about where we're going with the digital, the acceleration of digital. Um, I think it's really exciting when you think about, you know, where we can go with cryptocurrencies. So there is a lot of technology and that's just the technologies that we know today. And I think how you innovate around them is going to be really interesting, how you innovate around those technologies and those platforms. So um, they would be some of the buzzwords, I'd say, that we're looking into and thinking about for the future. So I know you said, I'm going to keep with you for a second, yeah. because you mentioned crypto, yeah. and you said the word buzzwords, right? Yeah. So there, there's the stuff we talk about, the stuff that gets on stage, mm. and then the stuff that you and your everyday job is, you know, so contactless, it, it mm. might be old, but it's used by people Absolutely. all the time. Yeah. So what what's exciting, what is changing the way people deal with financial services? right now, which might be different from something that's exciting you because someone's bouncing around on stage. Yeah. Well, look, contactless, again, I'll start there. A technology that's been available for more than 15 years. But with the pandemic and with how people were thinking about, you know, simply touching devices, um, that became the technology that people used to pay when they were, you know, pushed to go out and into stores. Um, Today, across Europe, almost eight in ten transactions are contactless and it's not just with your card actually the push to how people use the wallets um, you know that has really accelerated and now we're seeing you know of, of those contactless transactions almost one in four of them are now done on a mobile device so consumers have gotten super comfortable with this technology now and I think you know it's there it's going to stay and we're going to innovate around that now because that's where the consumer confidence is um, I think again you know, we saw retailers and consumers push towards digital and push, push towards e-commerce. The pandemic accelerated that massively as well. Making sure that, that e-commerce works simply and safely as it does, you know, in a shop today, uh, you know, making sure it works online as it does as safe and as easily as it does in a store. That's our ambition. And that's where we're focused to making sure that we fix the basics so that digital commerce becomes, you know, as, as easy to use and as simple to use as, and available for everybody, um, as we've seen with physical commerce. Interesting. So, yeah, Mike, same questions to you. What, what, what technology is exciting you right at the moment? I think, uh, <clears throat> I think many of the things that, that were mentioned are important for us as well and I think more importantly what we're noticing is and again the side of the business that I represent is the institutional side of the business so which means we are predominantly we were in the B2B play but then again a lot of machine to machine interaction started to come in but as consumers started using contactless and all the kind of interfaces those very consumers are the CFOs and the treasurers of the institutions we work with 
So as you started touching during the pandemic to say, listen, if that is what my consumer bank can accord, why can't an institutional bank offer me similar solutions? So it's really many of the same things. I think the I think the slight shift or change that I would have uh, is that um, when it comes to technology, we think of technology as a, if I may use the of, often used cliche, as a means to an end. Um, so we always start with our client problems. And again, our clients here are institutional clients. What are they inherently trying to do? Fundamentally, our clients are trying to, for example, make payments and payment ubiquity is very critical for them, right? Because I could choose to get payment into a PayPal wallet, or I could choose to get payment into a bank account or anything else of choice. But that's a challenge for both me as a consumer because now I suddenly have 100 ways to get paid and quite frankly for my client to orchestrate that. So things which orchestrate payments, uh, things like, for example, we're working capital bank, so we provide a lot of financing. So how do we provide financing to not just our customer suppliers, but the supplier suppliers? It's a deep tier financing is very important nowadays because my supplier is not just a manufacturer, the supplier could actually in turn be sourcing a lot of material and if their downstream supply chain is impacted, it impacts the supplier, which in turn impacts our client, which is the buyer. And then you reverse the equation and you get onto the receivable side where my client is a seller. How do we provide point of sale financing to the buyers, both businesses and consumers? Buy now, pay later has been around for a while in the consumer space. There's a massive influx of providers. What happens in the business world? How do you do a real-time assessment of an institute of a corporate or a business which does not have a FICO or a credit scoring in place. How do you do that on real time? So these are very real problems that need solutions. But I think much like open banking is a key area. We're not a very large consumer bank. We have three or four or five key centers of consumer banking <clears throat> that we will continue to operate. But we need access to all the consumers because a lot of our clients are going direct to consumer. And uh, therefore we need access to those clients and consumers, individuals, and therefore we need open banking rails, we need clearing rails to be improved. So everything around what can enable that, whether it's technology, it's open banking, it's APIs, it's cloud-based native technology. And I use the old term AI ML because it's not about artificial intelligence, machine learning has been around for what, how many decades, but it's about the usage of that technology to make a determination very uniquely about what the client needs is really which is critical for us. So so those are the kind of things that we're watching for and which are the kind of partners we're looking for in conferences like these and otherwise. I'm going to come back to you because I want to go to Nectarius next, but I, I, you know, I, you kind of laid out that complicated payments journey, which sort of a, a lot of people don't realize the interconnection and the supply chains and, and also that movement to sort of direct to consumer payments which banks are dealing with. Um, but I'm, I'm going to save that for a later question because I really want to hear your view. Sorry, I went away from the mic. I very apologize. Um, what, you know, what, what technology as now a fintech, as a, you know, you used to be at Swift, now you're a fintech founder. Uh, what technology is really excites you now? So I've been listening to, to, to what both other guests were saying, and I was kind of, I couldn't help thinking about how I best answer your question, Liz. And I think the answer is who cares? <laughs> um, and, and I mean it in a, in a, I mean, it sounds slightly polemic, but ultimately, for those of us who've been coming to the money 2020s and the services of this world, it feels very samey, right? Mm-hmm. And we had this break with the pandemic and we come back and we go, okay, this company has a bigger stand and this company has rebranded. 
But ultimately, it's not the technology that matters. There's an educational piece where we all go around and want to learn about the new stuff. But the key thing is, what do you do with it? Mm. And, and sort of my frustration, and I have loads of those, <laughs> uh, comes from working with industry who has a very vocal appetite to learn about the new technologies and then doesn't do anything with them because it's too early, right? So you have these people, especially the people in the innovation towers, who who kind of are going back 10 years, oh my God, blockchain is the next big thing. And then suddenly they spend all their money into blockchain rather than figuring out what are the business models that our technology enable that we can actually apply to solving problems. So from that perspective, there's a lot of cool stuff around, right? And I'm, I'm sort of walking around going, okay, cool. We're building a lending business where none of the technology that we're going to apply is going to be revolutionary because we're using open banking. There is yeah. an element of machine learning. But the key thing is we found a way of addressing a customer problem that the banks just ignore. Yeah. And from that perspective, there is an element of this is a place for us to meet and have a nice chat and see old friends in a, in a, in a place and also look around and go, OK, we're going to go home and feel great about ourselves because we attended some interesting sessions and those are diminishing as well. Um, and... The key question is, what do you do with it? What happened with blockchain of 10 years ago, the big data that we had at Cybers 2013, uh, and all the other beautiful buzzwords? But, but this is it. Okay, this is a question for the table, because I agree with you completely. It's, it's, the, it's you know, find the problem that you want to fix, and then find the tool to fix it, which might be the simplest tool in the box. It might not be the shiniest and good tool in the box. But we've been going to these shows for years and years and years, you know, uh, no one would come to a panel saying, you know, how to make, you know, access to working capital more efficient, even though I've been to those. You want Web3 and Metaverse and, and you know, stable coins. And that's what people come to see. Does that hype of wanting to see all that stuff kind of block and has a barrier to the real goals in this industry, which is we're trying to make it better for customers? I think, I think uh, from... It could be and it may not be. So as an example, I was hearing a number of sessions on Web3 and and Metaverse, which are happening in the center stage. Um, and it's interesting to to hear conceptually what what the future could look like um, for all of us. And I think, I think those are all absorption points, to be honest. Uh, I remember coming to Money 2020 in Vegas and in 14, 15, it was all about crypto and blockchain, back to your point, and that was the entire theme. And thematically, it was, again, interesting to think about what use cases could emerge out of those. So I think it, it, it really is about what do you want to absorb. So you want to hear at some level about what is happening around, what could be a future technology, because something will succeed, some use cases will emerge. I think back to, back to the point you mentioned, I think it's really about use cases. And what we're here to see is if somebody is uniquely presenting an idea that we haven't thought of, you know, the team that I heard today extensively is ESG. You have a separate, there are a number of players in that space. We, we have to be sustainable as in, as in, you know, as an entire world. We all know that, right? So, but how will we exactly get there? What are the kind of use cases? And when we think about, again, back to our clients, the clients are trying to do supply chain financing. They're trying to do receivable financing. They're trying to make payments. Uh, they're trying to issue corporate credit cards. They're trying to make payments to suppliers. How do we make it in a more sustainable manner and this is really for idea generation that at least when I granted I we're not able to attend a number of sessions because you, most of the time you're meeting other counterparties but whatever you could hear it's really as a educational point but I don't think you walk away 
completely changing your paradigm. You walk away with a very good understanding and a more rounded up perspective so that you're outside of your four walls of thinking. That's really, at least I walk away with these sessions. Um, but I don't have a huge amount of critique to those. And I, in my mind, I learn and I attend whichever ones I attend. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts from the table? No, I think I would, I would apply um, very similarly. I think, you know, we, I, I should say, I think about MasterCard's business, um, you know, very much in the near term because, you know, I'm running the, the business today. I'm running a, you know, a revenue generating business today. But we have teams of people who look out to the future. And I always find it incredibly interesting to hear about what's going on with Meta, with crypto. Um, it's not part of my day-to-day -day parlance, mm -hmm. you, know, it, you know, it's not, crypto is not a payment tool as it stands today. I fully expect it will get there over time and with innovation, um, but it isn't there today. So what we are, what I and my team are focused on today is really around how we're accelerating digital. And it seems old school. I understand that. But we are still at the point where we're fixing some of these basics because it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to do this and it's difficult to do it at scale. What I am excited about is open banking because I feel now that there's a, that there's a certain level of maturity with the open banking, with the technology, and actually we're starting to see use cases being built with the data flows that open banking can, can uh, deliver real tangible use cases we, th we all think about buy now pay later if you want to make a credit decision at the point of sale you're going to need some kind of open banking data flows to support you in that decision that that for me that's what's exciting you know that's what we uh, I, I think we get excited about but you have to keep your eye to the future to understand what's going but you know you have to keep your focus on on today i might be being unnecessarily grumpy can, yeah, go can I say it. something? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's really interesting listening to you both because mm. you both have a slightly different yeah. remit, right? Mm. Um, there, there's two very, very separate thoughts. You mentioned open banking and you mentioned digital and you mentioned the pandemic. Um, interestingly enough, none of this were industry-driven events, right? Mm. Open banking was regulatory-driven yeah. and the, co the pandemic came from somewhere else. So we had no choice to accelerate some of the things that you've been talking about inspired by some of these 10 years you ago. You took my question away. Keep yeah. on going. <laughs> That's my next question. Go, go, go. <laughs> in parallel for me, there's this really dangerous disconnect because of business people coming here and getting inspired, the learning piece, and the team that has the remit to actually experiment with that because there's no linear path between learning and then executing. And after 15 years, nearly 15 years of working in corporate innovation with financial services organizations, I haven't seen a single organization who figured out how to do the plane around bit because you have to kind of place lots of bets and some of them will work out and some of them won't, right? So it's great if you're sitting in the business and you know, you know what? We have something tangible and we just need to make it incrementally better. The big exponential swing is not going to come and nobody expects it from an organization like MasterCard. But at the same time, the problem you described, geez, we were having 10 years ago. We, we did in InnoTrap, we did a video called A Day in the Life of a Corporate Treasurer. And guess what? If we were to show the video today, you still have the people with the dongles, like an old switchboard, uh, telephone switchboard, where you just change the dongle for the next payment. You go, seriously, with everything that's happened, we're still talking about that? So there's also a lack of pressure, which comes possibly from the regulator or from something that is so big that you just have to, just have to deal with it. I mean, this was the, I was gonna, when you were talking earlier, um, a, 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 a 
someone in transaction banking at another bank a few years ago said to me, it was a date, I think it was uh, Christmas 2017 was the most important date in corporate treasury because that's when the iPads were released. Mm-hmm. And so all the corporate treasurers got them for Christmas and then went into work in January and said, make payments happen on this. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is exactly your point that that's something outside the industry that forced that forced a change. Um, and, you know, one of the, the phrases that has been said most often over the past year that I absolutely hate is um, the pandemic has accelerated <laughs> our digital transformation. And it's it's kind of makes me mad. It's like, why did it take a global pandemic to you know, let people work from home twice a week? I don't know. Why did it why did it take that to accelerate that when everyone knows that you've just laid out all the the, the problems that we have? that need fixing. So I guess I'm just repeated what you commented before. That's the main question. Why does it take these outside forces to, to push when there are events like this that inspire people like, like you to come and say, well, maybe we should find a fix and a tool for it. I think, I think if, if I may react just, and, and I completely agree with your point and it should not be the driver by itself. I think the usage of what were things in place change. So, you know, again, we are our habits of our own behavior. Yeah. Uh, I'm used to a particular way of doing things. I was used to going to an office, working on my desktop. We thankfully moved to a cloud environment, a thin client desktop, just pre-pandemic, which helped us to continue our business without impacting anything, right? I could work on my own personal device. Not everybody had a computer, a laptop from office. You could work on your, your iPhones all the time for emailing and other purposes. So Zoom came in just in time. And we adopted it on a corporate policy almost literally within the shorter time frame I've ever seen an institution our size adopt it. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely impossible to have thought of those. So I think what happened, to answer your question, is I think it really expedited some of that move. But as an example, if we weren't enabled on iPad for corporate treasurers which wanted to see their financial exposures and their account movements on an iPad. We had that released many years before, but there was no need for the corporate treasurers per se, other than when they were traveling overseas, that they wanted to use it, right? They were they were fundamentally, they were just still going to their desktops. But when they were taking away from that seat, at some level, it forced that decision to say, what is the other way? Oh, there is that tool available that I had, which I never considered to be uniquely applicable to me on a day-to-day basis or to your point uh, you know till the time that machine-to-machine protocol was well established most of our clients don't physically go in and type in payments they cannot because they're making millions of payments every single day so they're uploading files they're doing it through an api or a batch or any other mechanism and if those things weren't in place there was no physical person sitting in offices to kind of upload transactions so i think i think that's the extent in my mind of the pandemic related enhancement and improvement Um, at least in our world I wouldn't say necessarily that we rolled out something brand new just because of the pandemic I think the utilization went up of tools and things that were still available but there were other ways to go about doing your day day to day business that would be my short not a short but like a medium response to your uh, question I don't know if you wanted to I I, I just add um, again I fully agree with you but in the end you know, we're led, we're an industry that, that has outside influencers, whether it's, you know, governments and regulators, um, you know, other, other participants. But really, it's about how people shop. You know, in the end, the payment needs to sit in the background and it needs to support whatever consumer experience that people are actually driving towards. And 
commerce, the world of commerce is changing and it is changing very quickly. I mean, the, the, the butting heads of the physical and the digital, you know, uh, transactions, people starting in a shop but then going online or vice versa to complete their transaction. Um, and I think that's a force that ha- is having a bigger, a bigger impact on our industry you know, then the regulations are, um, or, you know, some of these other new technologies. And that's the one that we pay most attention to, whether it's e-commerce, m-commerce, algorithm commerce, whatever the, the, the type of commerce of the future is going to be, making sure that we're there to support giving consumers choice, making it easy to use, you know, simple and safe. And, and that's really... I, I mean, that that's, I love that point because, you know, I'm following how the customer behaves is, yeah. is key. But I think sometimes the prediction of how the customer behaves is very different than what actually payments I think are a perfect example there's a certain way people behave I think if you if you went to this you know if this conference existed here 10-15 years ago like this is why conversations about the metaverse drive me bananas you know where it's like no one is going to walk into an all augmented reality bank branch and I don't think any consumer wants to do that at all if you had a conversation about like a 16 year old playing a video game and doing quick payments while he's in the metaverse that makes like I'm like yeah you're taking me down the reality path Mm. not the batshit crazy Mm. path Mm. (laughs) I don't know yeah Yeah. Eddie you're smiling it's it's so the conversation ultimately, why does it take external factors for, for the industry to do something? For me, I would like to paraphrase it to something which is my favorite subject, which is why is the industry so bad at innovating? And there's an element there where if, if the business is doing well and the shareholders get what they need and it's a quarterly perspective and you don't really need to look further afield, you just do enough to keep the lights on and keep keep the money coming in. And there are different organizations with different profiles. I'm not bashing. <laughs> and in all fairness, and, and like, mm. <laughs> that's good. That's why we're having a conversation. Yeah. Right? But in all fairness, MasterCard and, and, and City to a lesser extent, you've been very forward thinking when it comes to startup. Start parts way back. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of experimentation environments to figure out what is the thing we need to know. So when we need to do something, we actually have some preparedness. Citibank's tried so many different things. And you go back to City Ventures, probably one of the first CVCs in fintech more than 15 years ago. But it was always this blurredness between are we investing because it's strategic and we need to go for venture. But it has been really difficult to follow a consistent industry approach to how we deal with, on the one side, the crazy stuff in the future, Horizon 3 of innovation and the stuff that we need to do now because we're solving a real problem. And in the end, if you look at how organizations are structured and the people in the organizations are incentivized to deal with these things, that's where the whole thing kind of falls apart. Sorry. <laughs> you have to answer. You have you even you both of you both of you go and have an answer. No, I think I think I think uh, you know I I I don't disagree with the fact that there is a very large business to run. You're running a 60 70 billion dollar franchise which generates revenue, which generates margins. Of course, it has to be sustained on a regular basis. Having said that, I think at least within the bank as far as I can see going back 10 15 years even more we were the initial innovators of the past. I mean, if you talk about the ATM machine, which is deployed, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't want to go back and live in the glories of 70s and 80s, but <laughs> let's let's talk about, if, if you talk about today as an example, there are, we've got about four or five labs in various jurisdictions, whether it's Dublin or London or Israel or Singapore. And by definition, those labs, which, by the way, there are a lot of, you know, uh, movement that happens across MasterCard and, I mean, Ken, who used to run our labs, well, back in the day, yeah. Uh, who runs the MasterCard Labs, he kind of created a lot of the basis of that. 
but we've got new kind of leadership out there and we're doing a tremendous amount of experimentation. Now granted, that experimentation doesn't always make its way to the public world because we're also dealing with the craziness of what is happening in the new world. So there are bits and bobs that actually feature up and the bits and bobs that don't. Um, but fundamentally, what we're trying to do is, and with roles like mine, I don't run a day job. I used to run product management for all of my life, 15, 20 years, run a PL. But relatively recently, we created this kind of an opportunity within the bank to look entirely focused on business development and innovation. And, and again, but this is not unlinked to the business. I sit on both the business team and the innovation team. So my, my, I've got two steps. I've got my, my two legs are on two different kind of business areas. And that's the most critical thing so that we're not innovating in a vacuum that never makes it to mainstream because the main, or just innovate within the mainstream because the mainstream business is so large that this will always be a spec on the side. So how do you create an environment where you're actually innovating within the business because you realize that the business dynamics are shifting? What is a half a million dollar piece of business against a $70 billion business could become the next billion dollar business. So I think I think that change is happening, um, at least in my mind, at City. So so that's that's really what my response to you would be. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean I can I can go on about how, sorry. you know, sorry, Kunal, within within MasterCard we're, you know, we're shifting our own business. I mean, we're not a cards payments company anymore. Mm-hmm. We're we're a payments company with multiple rails. We're a services company. We do cyber. We do loyalty. We do data, um, and we recognized a very long time ago that we can't innovate fast enough. So we do partnerships. You know, we sit in the middle and we partner with players across the full breadth of the ecosystem um, to to think about what's coming at us and and. You know, and, and I agree, it's getting that balance right between managing the day-to-day business and also making sure you're part of what's coming what's coming down there. It's a tough one to balance, but I think, you know, in the end, thinking about it from a disruptive mindset, thinking about it from a partnership mindset, um, it's the way forward, you know. Yeah, I mean, the Steve Flinter MasterCard is uh, quoted in our cover story for the June issue of The Banker on quantum computing. Voila. So he can be very interesting. All right, so we're, we've got two final questions, right? I'm going to do the positive one first, and then we'll have the snarky one at the end. Um, so this is, this is Money 2020, so we've been here. This is now day two. Um, did you see anything that impressed you? You were like, oh, that's kind of cool. I quite liked the connected car at J.P. Morgan, but I'll just, you know. Um, but anything that impressed you? You looked at me first, Nectarius. Um, I think what's more impressive to me is how some of the companies that were early stage startups 10 years ago are now the dominating players. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. And again, because it's just, I think, my job here to have a dig at the industry. A lot of them did it without the industry or against the industry, but a lot of them did it because they figured out how to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at somebody like RailsBank, who was a startup with Campbell alumni in 2015, right? Oh, no, sorry, Railser, because yeah. it rebranded. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Wise, who mm-hmm. we've met in 2010 in Toronto, and they were just, Crystal and Talbot were just raised the first year. So all this is wonderful, and it's heartwarming, especially when you supported early-stage entrepreneurship. I don't think I got any excited by anything that is like the future, because who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's, it's also nice to see how the format has changed. I'd say that it's also a very, very different type of conference now uh, from what it used to be a few years ago. Uh, we, we were joking about this earlier in 2018 when I came here and the thing was circus-themed. I was thinking, seriously, the irony lost on the organizers because it was just a noisy yeah. circus. So it feels a bit more real, but that's also because of our, our respective just 
obsessed to talk to real people rather than just do a Zoom call, right? Mm. Anything impressed? I think I think Victoria's and I were we were we were talking earlier. I think um, the one key difference that I've noticed, not just in this Money 2020, but in general for the last four or five years, is a huge amount of shift be- between what used to be us and them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of gone, right? There was there was a lot of this, you know, banks are. That was very American. I felt the us and them was, was very strong. The well, there was a, yeah, there was a context to that back in the 15, 16, but I think that's really shifted around. So it's very collaborative. In general, we've had a lot of footfall on our, you know, booth as an example, up up on the balcony, and uh, a lot of people interested in kind of having partnering discussions with us because, you know. It, the word goes round, and while there is, of course, that we need to improve further, but I think people are seeing some real examples of partnerships uh, that we've done, and we've done many over the years. Uh, I think the other thing that I really liked about this conference, and I, I've never been to the European version, so this is my first, I've only been to the, the, the Vegas version, is that it's somewhat manageable, but it also has a lot of international uh, appeal. So it gets a lot of people from really almost all across the world, including from the U.S. And we were talking, mm-hmm. there seemed to be a number of people from the U.S. flying in. I flew in yesterday on a red eye. I was horribly underslept. So, But it was it was still, it kept me going, right? So maybe apart from the six six uh, six coffees that I had. Um, <laughs> and good luck leaving Schiphol Airport. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing I'll add is maybe just on the sessions, I agree, I've not attended a whole host. I've attended some of them. And I the, the refreshing part was, that if there is a little bit of contradictory viewpoints, it's helpful to dwell on it. Otherwise, it's always, I agree, not yeah. that mm-hmm. we've got Nictarios here, which is great because <laughs> he doesn't agree with every, anything we say. But, but you know, it's it's not necessarily like a consensus building yeah. setup. People are calling each other out. Venture caps are calling. There's a lot of discussion on fintech valuations that is happening that valuations are coming down, does that impact the future profit? You know, is it profitability is a factor? How much money are you really making for all the transactions you're doing? So I think it's some real world issues being discussed. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene that shows that the industry that Nectarius is that I just think grandfather of fintech is what you're called <laughs> or mm-hmm. godfather. I think you don't like the godfather term. The grandfather of fintech, you would have seen that evolution happening to say that okay it's matured enough that people are trying to seek out PL, people are trying to seek out the actual value of the business rather than just a hype. So I think that's that's refreshing to me mm-hmm. uh, as well. So those are topics that are here, which are interesting. I wouldn't have thought that those kind of topics would be here. Everybody wanted to have the nice topics, no, con- no, no topics which would put the fintechs up on a challenging path. And I think they're addressing it very well. Yeah. Anything impress you? Um, I think similar to what, what what the two gentlemen have just said. For me, it's been because it's the first time in person in in a long time actually seeing people. <laughs> We're just people. so happy to see other humans. No, no, no. It, it's it. I'm I'm really serious about that. Mm. It's I'm really enjoying just having conversations without a schedule, without an agenda, without a set of points that you have to make, but having conversations with people. It's been fantastic to see how many of our, you know, the, the kind of the MasterCard alumni, because we've I've had a lot of people who've worked with us on MasterCard over the years who are now dispersed through this working in various different organizations. And that's really, I don't know, heartwarming just to, to be back there and, and, and seeing those people again. I sat through a really interesting conversation this morning on NFTs mm-hmm. and the possibilities of NFTs. I think for me, I... I, I find that really interesting. It's something I don't know very well, but I definitely want to explore more, understand better. Um, that was probably one of the most interesting uh, conversations. But I agree with Kunal. It, it's a very, it's become an uh, it's become an event that's you know practical 
and and actually you know you, you feel like tangible like we're going to do something with the conversations that you're having here today and not just could we would we should we um so really nice from that aspect so um a, a nicer person than me would end it there but i want to have one more question oh. um only because you know we started off the the theme of this episode was the glittering halls of, of cutting edge and and to talk about a lot of the sort of hypey stuff that tends to get discussed at, at um, events like this um you know and i was having a conversation with someone earlier today about you know i remember i was the first person at my organization in the 90s to get an email address you know i, I started my professional work life with a dumb terminal. I went to university with an electric typewriter, right? So we saw all this come in. And the early days of the internet, it was going to be this utopia that's mm-hmm. going to make everything better. And now we're dealing with these sort of various circles of hell and how that's going to have impacted society. So I was at, this was not at Money 2020. This was at an event I was at last week, which was run by the Euro Bankers Association. And they had a guy on stage who said, we're entering a future. He's doing different, different, you know, uh, things that are going to happen in the future where people will be able to sell pieces of themselves as a digital asset to pay for education. And he said, if you think that's dystopian, think about they won't be in debt, they'll have an education. And my blood literally Uh ran cold. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to create a society full of rich people and others that are selling themselves into slavery to stay out of debt. Is that the technology that we're being promised? So yes, I want to know, have you, not just money, don't let's not bust on money 2020, in this whole hype cycle world, what have you heard that has been like, oh, please, like that's, we're not going to float around in the metaverse. We're not going to, you know, what have, what has made your eyes roll back into your head until you almost go blind? I think, I think for me, it's, mm-hmm. it goes back to my very first answer. Who cares? In the sense of. There's light and shade with everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a responsibility for people who have a regulatory function to try to control some of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a responsibility for the individuals to try to do the right thing, but there's always going to be people who try to exploit it. So I'm, I'm quite ambivalent about, about the getting scared bit because it's, for me, it comes with the getting excited bit about the good possibilities. You can't get excited unless you get scared. You get yeah, there's a bit of that. Yeah, if you, if, you, if, you, if you think it through, there's always... I mean, you, you mm. talked about rich and poor, right? It's a mm. different type of exploitation. Uh, it's an evolving exploitation, <laughs> and it's different people who can exploit because they sit on the technology rather than on other assets that they had in the past. Mm. So it's a, it's a mixed, mixed thing. I th- ultimately, because you mentioned the word hype a few times, events like these fuel the hype no matter where it goes. Mm. And for me, uh, uh, because I also care much about mental health for entrepreneurs in particular, this is one of the things that has so far not embrace their, their responsibility that actually fuel this aspirational of starting a startup is the best thing ever without people realizing what they're letting themselves into. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. So it's, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think we're all smart enough and adult enough to actually see everything, but we choose to ignore the bits that are a bit scary. I'm and not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're not scared. I'm not, I'm I not can't look at you. I'm trying to look at you. So I can... <laughs> what do you think? Any any last last comments? I think um, I I wouldn't. Just, I mean, I completely agree with Nectarius. It's mm-hmm. and I and I, as I mentioned mentioned before, I think there is a there is a there is a hype around a lot of things. There will always be. I mean, there was a hype about the entire blockchain crypto world back in 2012, 11, and and there are some genuine use cases that are out there as we speak. So I think. Uh, 
I'm, I come at it with a very balanced perspective, to be completely honest. Um, I do hope that there is a lot more differentiation that we start seeing. Like a lot of companies out here seem to do almost the same thing. And I've not once heard, because my first question to our partners is, or potential partners is, what makes you uniquely different to the others? And the first statement is, there's nobody like us. And I'm like, no, hang on. You look 99% like the same DNA. There's maybe a 1%. So tell me that 1% rather than saying don't start a conversation but there are some others which are very honest to say we're much like everybody else mm -hmm. but we have this additional data point we've got more experience we're not just beta tested we're, we've got flows uh, we've got we've got 100 people but we don't have 90 sales people we've got 80 engineers and that's really what you're coming after and got some sales people and we need your distribution access to be able to go there so it's really about a little bit of a reality that I don't think I always find, right? There is a little bit of this hype and if somebody continues to live on a hype and when moments like these happen where valuations start coming under challenge, fund fundraising comes under challenge, I think I think it starts impacting you. So you, you better have your differentiators ready uh, because your spiel is not just going to get hurt because you're doing more of the same that everybody else is doing. You can't be the 50th company doing that because it's not going to survive, likely. That's, that's my opinion. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that one, actually. I think, um, you know, your, your question was, well, what's made your eyes roll recently? <laughs> There's been a few things, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, but um, it is about the the sameness of message that comes across. People saying the same things, using slightly different words. Um, but but Wait, really, you should see my inbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think to myself you do need to find a way to, to stand out to shine <clears throat> and, um, and 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 make sure that you're connecting with what your audience wants to hear um, what what I notice now people are really interested in talking about people mm -hmm. how are you doing you know how is your health how is your family how are you coping in this post pandemic environment getting back to work again but still doing all of the digital stuff people want to talk about sustainability how's our planet doing you know the the situation in 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 the ukraine in europe i think made people ask themselves what can i do more <clears throat> to help these situations and i think um and people you know we we have to find a way to support one another it's to support small businesses to support you know it's not all about big businesses it's about what's making our economies work and in europe we're, we're, we're run on small businesses so how do we help them um, i i'm really appreciating that that you know those conversations are happening in a way that's very open you know i can say to someone I'm having a bad day today <laughs> in a way that I probably couldn't have said a couple of years ago I and, agree with you yeah like um, 10, 15 years ago you would, ne you would never you tell would your boss never, you would never absolutely yeah. you would never as a woman especially yes. and maybe I'm being, no, bringing the gender you. point forward but I would never bring forward that I was having a tough time with my husband or my kids or my family or whatever whatever that pressure point was and, and today you can do it in a way that's, that people understand and appreciate and actually it opens up conversations and as, as leaders I think in this industry that you know it, it, it's really important that we make that the conversation that's much more comfortable so I really appreciate that um, but I think we have you know there is there is a lot more 
that we need to do in the space. Um, but um, yeah, there's a few things that make me real. Well, nervous. I have to tell you, every single conversation I've ever had about technology in my entire life always ends on talking about humans. Yes. Every single one. So anyway, I want to thank the three of you, Canole, Amir, and Natalia. Thank you. Oh, I went away from the microphone yet again. <laughs> thank you so much for the special Money 2020 edition of Functional Banking Magic. Thanks. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of the banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you would like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com. 